Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello and welcome to Headliners, your nightly romp through tomorrow's papers. I'm Mark Dolan and joining me is a man affectionately known as Hulk Kogan. Yes, it's comedian Jonathan Kogan. And joining him, a man we like to call Andrew, the ultimate free speech warrior, Doyle. Let's hope they're both big wrestling fans. They've certainly got the guns to prove it. Let's have a look at tomorrow's papers. And here are your front pages. We'll start with the Daily Mail. And they are leading with the following. PM allies accuse Sue Gray of playing politics on the eve of the Partygate report. They blast toxic briefings and insist it was her who requested a meeting with the Prime Minister. OK, next up, where shall we go? Telegraph next. Gene edited crops to help ease Ukraine food crisis. Ministers say speeding up approval for new methods of food production will guarantee the nation's food supplies. Also head of civil service facing party gate flack and NHS waiting lists may be twice as long as reported. Now there's a surprise. OK, The Guardian next. Children's mental health in crisis as cases rocket to a record high. A toll of 400,000 patients triggers alarm over the scale of problems since COVID. Yes, I will draw your attention to a couple of years of lockdowns which may have had their impact. Work is the best way out of the cost of living crisis, says the Prime Minister. Boris Johnson hopes to blunt calls for urgent action on the cost of living crisis by stressing that work is the best route out of poverty amid continued wrangling among ministers about the merits of a windfall tax on energy companies. OK, the Financial Times next, and let's have a look what they are saying. And uh, this one is a pretty interesting story, actually, which has caught my eye. Investors challenged by demise of three-decade era of globalisation. That story reflecting concern in many quarters that the uh, weakness of globalisation is now beginning to rear its ugly head. OK, the Times newspaper next, and their headline is certainly worthy of note. Fuel poverty predicted to hit 40% of households. Uh, more bad news for cash-strapped Brits. OK, next up, we've got the Daily Express and the Express are saying the following time for rescue plan. Rishi energy bills to hit £3,000. But what can the government do? That's a conversation we'll be having shortly. Uh, the Sun newspaper next. Kids nurse in poison kill quiz. A very concerning story there. Police have arrested a woman who's 27 years of age accused of actually poisoning a child. Um, that is clearly a very concerning case and we'll bring more on that when we get it. OK, the Metro next. Brits feel the pinch, rise in shoplifting to survive. The cost of living crisis is creating a new wave of first-time shoplifters stealing to eat, according to retail experts. Um, the uh, 
the particular supermarket that was interviewed for this uh, story said that thieves are not the usual suspects at the moment and are taking less expensive items, uh, hinting at the desperation of many British shoppers. OK, where shall we, uh, where shall we go next? OK, uh, those were your headlines. Uh, let's crack on with the conversation. Brilliant stuff. After a long and arduous season, the Premier League champions have been crowned. Luckily for you at home, our resident football expert, Andrew Doyle, is here to fill us in. Andrew, take me through all the ramifications. <laughs> First of all, uh, how many points did uh, Man City win by? Well, I've been reading up on this. I read this entire article many times. Um, in terms of points, I'm not sure if they do points as such, but Man City won um, and uh, Tottenham beat Arsenal. Burnley were relegated... And from what I gather, there were lots of games on the same day. So, you know, like normally you have competitions over many weeks. This one, this is called the Premier League. They did a lot on one day and the Man City won it. And I don't think they do points, do they? We've or do they friends, do points? Uh, we've been friends for a long time and I think I'd better step in and rescue the situation well, here, Jonathan and Andrew. I don't think either of you knew much about football. Arsene Wenger? Yeah. The thing I, is, I think he's still alive, but he's not in football anymore. Mark, this article assumes a lot of prior knowledge. So, for instance, they're talking about these games and then halfway through he says some wolves got involved. And it does, I don't know where these wolves came from or why they're on the pitch. Uh, they're feral. Uh, it's because of rewilding, essentially. Oh, OK. That's the issue. Yeah. Is this how all... Rewilding in the, uh, in the Merseyside area. But are all sports articles written in this way? They just assume you know things. Because I think that's not good for a paper. Well, yes, the, the Hammers were involved were they? In, in London as well, which uh, we, we don't want to see that violence, do we? on the right. <laughs> uh, the bottom line is, chaps, I'll put you out of your misery... Mm. The Premier League was a nail-biter today because to win this particular league, uh, it went down to the last day of the season, which is quite rare. So it was Liverpool and Manchester City. So Man City needed to lose or draw and Liverpool needed to win. OK, but why are and they saying there was another match on the same day? So what happened is all of the teams played today. On, at the same time? Yes, all at the same time, which oh. made it very exciting. So On the one pitch? Well, for, for about five minutes. <laughs> no, 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 no. That would be a health and safety situation. <laughs> okay, okay. I think you'll agree. Uh, so what happened is that football is a game played by two teams of 11. Yes. Which includes two goalkeepers. They play for 90 minutes. And for every win in the league, they receive three points. A draw is uh -huh. a point and a loss is zero point. I see. And it went to the last day, which meant that, that is exciting. we had trouble. We were trying to prepare my show today. I think the quality suffered quite demonstrably. Yeah. Uh, because my producer's a big Liverpool fan. And so what happened is that for five minutes, Liverpool were league champions. Then they weren't. Then they were. Then they weren't. It was quite exciting. Yeah, it's quite exciting. The way you describe it, that sounds really... I, I know neither of you are great football aficionados, but I can say that we should be very proud at what a successful global product the English Premier League is. I believe it's the most watched football... No, that's wrong. Correction. The most watched sporting league on the planet. Really? Yeah. It's a, it's a huge international product watched by billions. Maybe I should get involved. I mean, I, I, I've we'll never... We'll go to a match. We'll go see... Should Barnett, we go and see something? The Western so I thought you were offering your services <laughs> as a midfielder. I, I mean, I could. I'd be better in goal, I think, because I just stand there and you're going to get lucky from time Goals to time. Goals where they put all the nerds in school is just stand at the back they and do. don't do anything. Yeah, I yeah. was a goalie. There you go. Well, I hope you enjoyed your class of Football 101. Yeah. Uh, perhaps we should go for some hard news now. <laughs> Monday's Mirror and the Queen isn't going to be present for the upcoming Trooping of the Colour, Jonathan. That could well be correct. So the Royal Trio to stand in for the Queen at Trooping the Colour for the first time in 70 years. So that means Prince Charles, Prince William and Princess Anne 
may take the royal salute instead of the queen as the monarch continues battling mobility problems. Yeah. Now, we're not going to know whether until the actual day on June the 2nd, whether or not the queen's going to be there or not. So she may turn up, she may not. And I think that's a pretty, I think that's a, that's a baller move, just getting the whole country to throw you a party then decide on the day whether you're going to go Well, Cher's a bit like that. Yeah, I it's mean... Celine Dion is like yeah, I've similar been in the Cher were quite... Yeah, yeah. similar vibes. Um, I mean, I was Both like, hot. you know, we've seen already the, the image of the, the crown on the vacant seat in the opening of Parliament, and we are, you know, inevitably, when someone reaches that age... You know, we have to get used to the fact that she's not going to be everywhere. She as she can wants zoom to... in, is that a thing? Well, maybe. Yeah, that's not. That is actually a thing. The royal family were involved with Zoom oh, during the okay. pandemic, but um, you know, it's 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 inevitable. And I think she needs to save her energy for the yeah. the, the, the jubilee celebrations. It makes complete sense to me. Absolutely. Well, we will of course have wall to wall coverage here on GB News, and let's hope that that coverage will feature our amazing monarch. And uh, we do wish her um, the very best of health, so that she's able to be there for the nation to acknowledge her remarkable achievements over seven decades. On to Monday's Sun and a story on the dangers of welcoming Ukrainian refugees with open arms. Well, it's unbuttoned trousers is the issue, isn't it, Andrew? Yeah, um, d doesn't that sound like a very right-wing reactionary thing to say, yeah. the dangers of accepting refugees? But of course, it's very much specifically about this story, right? So you know, no one's making aspersions about the process generally. This is a Ukrainian refugee called Sophia, who uh, she was invited into a couple's house um, uh, the, the Garnet couple, they were married uh, for, for, uh, since 2014, two children. And apparently uh, she had her eye for the man in the relationship and she would wear low-cut tops and uh, do her makeup, but only at the point when he would come home from work around five o'clock. And the wife started to notice that, you know, she was wearing just her pyjamas during the day and then suddenly she was she was dressed like Lauren Bacall when it, when it came to five o'clock. And uh, An 87-year-old Hollywood actress. Uh, in her heyday. Oh, I see. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. She wasn't dressing up as an like elderly it. woman. <laughs> um, but it's a very interesting one because she, had, she felt she had to kick her out. And only then, when the wife kicked the uh, Ukrainian refugee out, which is never a good look, is it? No, no. She kicks her out. The husband says, I'm going with her. And apparently they were having an affair. She was proven right. Her intuitions she, were correct. She was absolutely right. So they were having an affair. They, they say they fell in love. They couldn't control it. So he's now thrown away an eight-year marriage with children. Because of a, a woman he's known for 10 days. That's not a good move. That's not a good look. But I, I want to call shenanigans on this because apparently they met not through the official um, refugee channels, but through, like, Facebook or something. So you're saying he already I, knew I think it. I think it was planned. I mean, just, again, my woman's intuition there, but I think it was... They, something was going on. They met on, like, Tinder or something, and then... I don't know about you know. this. I think this is a reminder of the power of human sexuality insofar as people are willing to throw everything away for just one moment. It's like one Eyes band. Wide Shut, you know, that film Eyes Wide Shut, where yeah. Nicole Kidman says to Tom Cruise, for one night with that sailor, I would have thrown away our entire marriage. And you believe it, because people go mad when they are aroused. Yeah, they do. Uh, it's a very difficult story for the likes of The Guardian to cover, this guy, because he, he's either a hero, because he's taken, <laughs> quite literally taken in a refugee, or, or he's a misogynist. He's a bit of both. So that cancels it out. So maybe Double they're hero. indifferent. Yeah. And that's why they haven't reported on it. Yeah, who knew? Well, look, we'll crack on, because we've got the monkeypox to worry about now. Uh, let's talk about this, Jonathan. Uh, we have to... I guess, hit the right tone on this one because people are getting pretty ill now. No, absolutely. I mean, there are cases of people in intensive care and stuff like that, as I understand it. Um, but basically, the warning here is that for anyone who is having sex with multiple partners, just be careful yeah, and make sure you get... No, that's no one here. Yeah, yeah, we're not legends. But, um, yeah, anyone who's in close contact with individuals that they don't know, they just have to be very vigilant about monkeypox. Um, yeah. 
I mean, I don't know how many cases there are. I think it's only a handful so far, but these things spread and it just looks like it. I mean, hope, I, mean I, don't want, I don't want a monkeypox pandemic. That's not going to happen, right? No, well, but, I did read in one of the papers, uh, tomorrow's papers, Andrew, that there was talk of quarantining people that have oh, symptoms, right. which well, has a familiar ring to it. Yeah. This is the problem, isn't it? That now, post-COVID, our minds will in instantly mm -hmm. jump to worst case scenario. Maybe we should lock down. And of course, we've always had various things like this crop up now and then, bird flu, swine flu, whatever it might be at any given time. But now we live in a post-COVID world. This will be something where people will be saying, well, let's lock down again. Let's, yeah. let's, and there will be a tendency uh, to overreact. And let's just, you know, the, the, the truth is there are still very few in infections. I think mm -hmm. they're saying in this article, there are 20. It is true, there is a child in intensive care that's very serious mm -hmm. and very sad. Uh, it's also true that um, uh, people, as, as Jonathan was saying, with multiple sexual partners are, are more likely to catch it. It's particularly in the gay community it's, it's happening because gay men tend to have more sexual partners. Um, so, you know, we do have to take it seriously. I'm not saying you shouldn't take it seriously. What I'm saying is let's not go mad and start saying, oh, we need to lock down society again. And, and, and uh, you know, let's, let's just see how this pans out and, and take the necessary precautions. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, let's go over now to Monday's Sun. And Andrew, a proper old-fashioned Tory sex scandal. It's, it's almost nostalgic, isn't it? Well, we are back to those days, aren't we? But this is a Tory MP who has been caught up in allegations that he... Allegations, I must emphasise, allegations that he spiked four people with drugs, with a rape drug, including two other MPs, uh, abused Labour MP. Who, uh, one claimed that he woke to find his nipples being licked... By another so th these are all allegations that I really must... But these allegations have been going around since 2017, mm. apparently, right. in Westminster. And now it's all sort of coming out. But, of course, it's coming hot on the heels of all these other damaging scandals that have been g going on. There's the, um, the Conservative David Warburton, who was suspended uh, following sexual uh, harassment allegations. There's um, Imran Ahmed Khan, who, of course, resigned uh, after he was convicted of molesting a teenage boy. So there's all of this. There's apparently 50, it says here, around 50 MPs have reportedly been referred to the Parliament's authorities over sex misconduct claims. That's a, that's a lot. That is a high percentage of MPs who are allegedly, allegedly. doing some terrible, terrible well, things. I used to be a research assistant in the House of Commons and certainly back in the day, there was a lot of drinking, yes. drug use. Anyone lick your nipples? At no, although I, you know, tried to dress provocatively, but nothing. I didn't even get a second glance from Michael Gove, which is That's going sad. Sad. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, I remember at that time it was. Look, people worked hard, and yeah. most people in the Commons are there to, to, you know, serve their constituents. But there is booze, there are drugs, and there is sex, Andrew. Yeah, I wouldn't deny... Look, I mean, we often forget that, that we're dealing with human beings here. And particularly if you give human beings a, a position of privilege, mm. uh, if you give them alcohol on the job. I mean, I don't know many jobs where you're allowed to drink. I mean, you're drunk right now, but that's just, you know, that's just the way yeah. you are. Um, but, you know, I find it... You know, we shouldn't be surprised when this sort of thing happens. But at the same token, it has to be addressed and it has to be properly investigated. And, you know, it, this is criminal stuff. It, it is abhorrent accusations, if proved true. But, Andrew, is it fair for political parties to bear the brunt of the misbehaviour of individual members? You yeah. know, is it, should, it, should it be like, you know, Tory sleaze, Tory scandal? Isn't it just a bad 
egg, a, a rotten apple in, in, in the barrel. Sure. I mean, we always tend to, it always tends to be weaponised for political purposes, mm. irrespective of which until, party Until someone at the Labour Party is naughty exactly. and then everyone goes quiet. Well, it's like Partygate all over again. Or, you know, it's, it's, it's this idea of the expenses scandal, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it can be weaponised against one party and then you find out the other party was doing it as well. And then it's like, well, OK, this isn't something that is in the DNA of any particular par party. Uh, misconduct and sexual misconduct in particular is in the DNA of human beings. And so you're going to find this, these aberrations in every walk of life, really. What the, what the, the key thing is the way in which the party reacts to it. We can't be saying that the Tories are more likely to produce it because they're morally corrupt. That's, that would be the partisan approach. Mm. What we say is how did they respond when the allegations were proven to be true? And that's the way that, that we should make our judgment. Uh, misconduct is in the DNA of every human being is a direct quote from Andrew's last meeting with HR. And let's go to Monday's Daily Mail. The Taliban are continuing to disappoint me. I don't know about you guys, but... <laughs> I had a lot of hope in mm. Taliban 2.0, plant-based. I thought they were going to be woke this time, but apparently not, because female TV presenters and reporters in Afghanistan are forced to cover their faces on air after a new Taliban order. Uh, but they now, promised. They promised. Johnson. I know um, people say GB News are conservative, but we don't do that here. We could, but we're not. Never so, say never. Exactly. Well, I can know. think of a few presenters whose faces I would cover. <laughs> not, not female, though. No, no, well, you know. Start with me, by the way. Oh, well, no, that's depriving the world. <laughs> but, um, well, first of all, from a pragmatic perspective, just having presenters on television who can't show their faces, I mean, that doesn't really seem to me like it could work because it's such a communicative position. But from, I guess, from a more serious social perspective, is it just the case that uh, women are being erased from the public discourse? Yes. In, yeah, I mean, that's what it seems like. Well, yes, I mean, essentially everything that they pledged to do when the transition happened appears to have been a tissue of lies. Mm. Mm. I mean, what a shock. Okay. <laughs> I can't believe anyone believes... It's the Taliban. What do you expect? They don't like women. They never have liked women. They're not going to have a sudden conversion overnight and think, oh, well, actually, we're gonna, we were wrong all along. They're, they're really hyper-conservative, mm. very sort of stringent, uh, deeply misogynistic, and they always have been. And it's really funny because, I mean, obviously when they came back into power... Of course, they're doing that in a world where, because of uh, what we might call the oppression Olympics, Islam has been to put up quite high and people are very reticent about criticising uh, Islamic states and countries. Uh, and so, therefore, they were exploiting that and saying, yeah, well, we've changed. And, of course, all the woke left were saying, yeah, the Taliban are wonderful. Yeah. You know, the Taliban are just misunderstood. No, they are deeply misogynistic. Uh, let me throw them a bone. Here we go. Wish me luck with this one. <laughs> Back up the Taliban. Um, has there been any identifiable change in approach or tone from the Taliban. I mean, they've been giving interviews to Western outlets, even in recent weeks. They, they've become more savvy. Right. Uh, they're more active online. Mm -hmm. uh, they've, they haven't been booted off Twitter. Are they on Twitter? Yeah, yeah, loads of Taliban accounts on Twitter. Yeah, they're really popular there now. Mm -hmm. um, so, no, have they been rehabilitated? No, because the essence of their ideology is that, is that it, it, they are rooted in tradition and the past and, 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 and scripture. It's not going to change. I mean, it's interesting, though, that the... I mean, the really brave people in all of this are the female presenters who are standing up against it. There are mm. some who've said, no, we're going to ignore the edict. There's this one woman, Sonia Nasi, who's a local presenter. Um, and she did appear on, on With the Mask, but she criticised it very, very explicitly. And she made the very, very important point that in Islam, and no Islamic scholar says that uh, it is mandated that you must wear, you must have your face covered in Islam. It's just not an Islamic... It's a tribal thing that is uh, rooted in Taliban tradition, nothing to do with Islam. So it's political, it's cultural, it's tribal. Exactly that. So it's not, it's, you know, this idea that, that, that Muslims have to be covered is not true. Yeah, yeah, an important distinction.
Well, let's now have a look at Monday's Telegraph. A good friend of the channel, Andrew, Calvin Robinson, who has been cancelled by the Church of England. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, Calvin, as you know, who we see all the time here, of course, and he appeared on my podcast to discuss this issue, his ongoing issue with the Church of England. Now it's been reported in, in the Telegraph that it has been confirmed he was being blocked from joining the Church of England. He had been training at the University of Oxford uh, in order to begin a curacy in the, at, the, um, at a parish in Holborn in London. It was all set up, as she, he explained to me. I think you've spoken to him about this as yes, well, Mark. Yeah. And he explained that it was all set up and it was all good to go. And then suddenly uh, they said, no, we, we haven't got a place for you. And he issued a freedom of information request to get the emails between the various bishops. And really what the problem was, was that he was on GB News, for one thing, that he uh, denied that the church was systemically racist. Um, which is surely for them to prove. The burden of proof should surely be on the on them. Ultimately, he's been he's been blocked from joining the Church of England because he's too Christian. <laughs> and you have to question that, really, don't you? Well, that's right. And I, I was raised a Catholic, and I don't remember the church caring what my or my parents or family's religious uh, political views were. You you had to kind of buy into yeah. the idea that God was quite groovy. Sure, but it didn't matter who you voted for in a general election. It's very strange, isn't it? I mean the um, the institutional capture does not stop with politics, media and the arts. It goes into religion as well. I even spoke to uh, an American Baptist evangelist who's told me that even the evangelical church in America has been captured and there are now classes on intersectional politics of Jesus's mission. But they're about it, as conservative as it right. goes, right? It, I mean, oh, this yeah. thing, this movement, this ideology, because it, it is so religious in its DNA or quasi-religious, mm. it easily infects other religions. That's fascinating. Hasn't yet got to the Taliban. That's the only one where it might, might, might actually help a little bit. Yeah, that would be a step in the right direction. Let's talk about the story in The Telegraph now and a flimsy attempt to refute serious allegations, Jonathan. So, yes, so a French minister denies rape accusations, saying his disability makes it physically impossible. So this is um, Damien Abad, who is Emmanuel Macron's new minister for solidarity and the disabled, and he's been accused of raping a woman in 2010 and another woman in 2011. Now, he's denied this completely, saying that his disability makes him incapable of sexually assaulting someone. Um, who knows? I mean, his disability is called uh, arthrogryposis, I believe, and that affects all four of his limbs. He says that makes it physically impossible for him to undress or, you know, carry someone. So that's his excuse. Who knows? What do you think? Do, do we know whether he suffered these symptoms all those years ago? Uh, that is a very pivotal point. That, yeah, it, well, that it, doesn't, it doesn't say in the article, but presumably he must have. Otherwise, his defence would be obsolete. You know, so, yeah. so I, mean, I, I would make that presumption. And was it, it a progressive condition? Is it worse right. now than it was? It's just one of those cases, again, where we, we don't know what happened. We need to take every accusation of this kind seriously. But at the same time, due process is important and... He is innocent till proven guilty. Absolutely. Yeah, there, it, does, it does have slight echoes of Prince Andrew and Pizza, Pizza Express and sweating on the dance floor, doesn't it? Those are a bit less persuasive, aren't <laughs> they, those, those things? Um, but, yes, yeah, so we, I think it's one of those where you just you have think to wait. Do you called Prince Andrew, so can you get me out can of this? Give me a tip. Well, people apparently have nicknamed this guy because he's French and he's a vicar and he's an alleged sex pest. People are calling him Pepe Le Pew. Nicely done. Thank you, thank you. It was worth it just for that. Absolutely. Time. The Guardian now and some advice for the Labour Party and crime, Andrew. Yeah, so this is a, um, a charity called the Howard League uh, has basically said to Labour or advised Labour uh, that it should focus less on this idea of being tough on crime, the messaging of being tough on crime. 
and more about uh, you know, how to develop evidence-based policies to solve a crisis within the criminal justice system. So they're saying that, that Starmer, who has been uh, you know, making these overtures about how Labour are the party that will deal with the, the problem of rising crime, um, and of course, traditionally, you associate that with the Tories. We're having a lot of polarity shifts, aren't we? Like, the, you know, the Christians are becoming sort of uh, lefty and woke, whereas the... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, the, the Labour are being tough on crime. It well, they're moving, yeah. they're moving to the right, aren't they? And, and I think, potentially, and yeah. I think that's, that's a sort of trying to escape from what from the Corbyn era, I suppose. There was a perception right. that Corbyn was softer on criminals, well, cared more about the criminals than the victims of crime, mm -hmm. and Starmer definitely wants to push back against this. But this charity is saying that they don't think this is a, a, a particularly good idea, and that actually the, right. the, the messaging is wrong for the, uh, the voter base. I don't see that that's the case. I think being tough on crime is going to be a vote winner, isn't it? Because at the moment, if I know people who've had their houses broken into and they just don't bother calling the police because they know it's not going to, nothing's going to happen. Well, is this advice from the Howard League for penal reform another example of the sort of woke groupthink that's happening within the Labour Party, which is going to keep them out of power? A party that I have voted for in the past but couldn't at the moment because of what's happened ideologically within Labour. Um, we had, didn't we, this week, the head of constabulary, the new head of constabulary, in this country saying that the authorities should think twice about prosecuting shoplifters because they might really need that stuff. Right. So this seems to be a cultural issue in relation to crime. Well, which also goes back to the point that it sort of doesn't matter what either party proclaims. There's always going to be these woke quangos and the policing, the College of Policing, for example, sending different messaging out. I mean, that's always going to happen. But the Labour Party, you're absolutely right, is more, uh, I suppose, infected by these ideas, and they keep, they, they will keep coming up with ideas that the vote base don't like. Mm. I mean, this has been happening o since, outside of London. Outside of London, right? This has been happening since their daft proposal to have a second referendum. Mm. Oh, great! I mean, I could have told them that would have lost them the election. It wasn't rocket science, mm. um, but they went ahead anyway because they're in this little insular bubble. And then what happens is Boris Johnson just goes up to the northwest in a couple of years' time on the campaign trail and says, when it comes to crime, hang them and flog them. And by the <laughs> way, I've got more Brexit for you, and he wins the next election. Sure. That's right. By the way, I don't know what more Brexit would look like, but uh, hey, never yeah, have any more. Yeah. Literally wrench the country away and push well, it away well, there from is the talk. There is talk of, uh, of uh, actually um, pushing the United Kingdom towards America using a oh, crane. Shifting the tectonic plates a bit. Yeah, that's the plan. Why, why not? So, so soon you'll be able to go on a dinghy to New York. Sounds quite nice. Obviously, legally. Make cool. sure you've yeah. got the authorities' uh, approval on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not open another can of worms. <laughs> Monday's Daily Star now and devastating news to boy racers up and down the country, Jonathan. Well, so I'm really annoyed by this story. So drivers who post speed camera locations on Facebook or Twitter face £1,000 fine uh, or even prison time. Now, it just shows here that the point isn't to get people to drive slower. It's just a way to gain revenue for the police. And... If people want to share this information and warn people so they don't get tickets, they don't get fines, I think that's completely fine. We want people going slower, right? And they'll slow down if they get this information, maybe only for that short stretch of, you know, one mile. But, yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. Where I does this leave? You know when you're in a car and yeah. they've got those devices that say there's a camera approaching in yeah. 10 metres or 20 yeah. metres? Are those illegal as well? well? I mean, by this logic, I guess they would have to be. But all they're doing is sharing some information about trying to help people so they don't get fines. And this will cause people to slow down. 
I don't like stuff like this. It's I didn't know that, because this article says you can be prosecuted for flashing your lights to another car yeah. to warn them. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's outrageous. Yeah, that, that is, I, I, I can't remember what the expression is. I just yell pigs on my window it, if there's police there. Yeah. Along the lines of perverting the course of justice is, is what you'd be accused of if you flashed lights in the opposite direction. But I am such so an extreme. idiot. We, we know I'm an idiot. And I'll give you another example, 377 example number. Uh, and it's a couple of years, a few years ago, and I was on my motorbike and I was on a main road. And I was kind of going along, it was a 30 road, but the usual excuse that speeders make, which is there wasn't, it was early in the morning, there wasn't a car on the road. So I was probably doing about 36. Yeah. Naughty me. And I'm zooming along and there's a taxi coming towards me and he puts his hand out the window and he starts flapping his hand out the window like that. And I'm like, oh, you trying to troll me or something, you know? I'm like, <laughs> What's the handshake you know, the fan? I don't know. I, I didn't know if he was being abusive. Right. You know, maybe he wasn't a fan of my broadcasting work. Well, Who knows? We've impossible. Been, been there before. Anyway, so, so then what happens is I, I carry on. I, I ignore his signal because I didn't know what he was on about. And then there's a bunch of police cars there with the speed gun. Ah. Uh, and I get caught. Now, I learnt my lesson. I got the three points. I apologise. So not, is, is not that the international symbol for but, police? Uh, you know, I, I look kindly on this, this cabbie because I just feel that he, he was looking out for me. It was a sort of public-spirited thing to do. He's like, mate, the old bill around the corner, slow down. On the other hand... But he could be in trouble. Oh, on the other hand, shouldn't isn't there something to be said for just driving carefully anyway yeah. and actually you know it maybe if we didn't know which of these cameras were active maybe if we didn't know where we were being filmed we might all slow down a little bit and that would be better Speed for us. cameras in germany are hidden right so that you don't know what's coming but also what i'm confused by in terms of the messaging here it's very clear that speed cameras are in this country visible mm -hmm. with lines on the road yes and a bright yellow so, box yeah. yes so actually the the philosophy of controlling speed in this country is, is very overt. Mm. And you're being given the information by the local authority, yes. by the police. Which makes no sense why you would criminalise someone sharing it on Facebook, yeah, because the, it's the, already the, out the there. Way, the way we do it in this country is say, look, th there's a lot of accidents here, so slow down here, please. Yes. We'd like you, in an ideal world, you'd slow down everywhere, but here is absolutely key. So this but would they, make that illegal, wouldn't it? The people who put up the, uh, the put the stripes on the road and everything, surely that's illegal. Where does it end? That's what I ask. I mean, a month in prison, that's completely outrageous. You can get up to a month in prison for that. For letting someone. Are you a driver yourself? Uh, well, do I have a license? Do I drive? Uh, no. You're in there. <laughs> <laughs> not really. No, but I mean, why would you? With all these prosecutions, it's not exactly. worth the trouble. Exactly. Monday's Daily Star now and some good old fashioned British japes, Andrew. Yes, so this is at Gatwick Airport and a woman was landing in the plane. She wasn't, it was a passenger plane. And she took a photograph of the sign that was welcoming uh, the, the people to Gatwick. But it said, welcome to Luton. Some uh, pesky scamps had uh, scuttled onto the runway, or not the runway, but the field near the runway, and written a huge letter as welcome Brilliant. to Luton. I think we've got the photo. Let's have oh, do we? Yeah. Well. Oh, this, this show's not just thrown together, you know. <laughs> uh, do we know who actually did this? No, well, the article doesn't say who did this, but whoever they are, they are little gremlins, aren't they? Well, it's top bants, isn't it? It's top bants. But how did they get on? Surely there must be quite tough security at an airport, you would think. It's a good joke, though, because nobody... Was it a local fit? Was it a field next there, to it? There it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a field next to it. That's a great prank. That is... Uh, it's wholesome, it's innocent, no one gets hurt, you confuse some people, it's beautiful. Victimless crime, and of course no one wants to go to Luton, so it's quite... <laughs> for a moment you're terrified, it's very, you know, it's very much abandoned hope. Although the renting. poor old pilot looking at their sat-nav going, this bloody tom-tom, what, what a waste of money that was. Yeah, it's not good, and it's very inconvenient to be, to be rerouted. Although I would say that, as you mentioned, airports is not the place for pranks, is it? 
I feel like if you're pranking the passengers and it's somewhere off in the distance. I mean, you don't want to do something heinous on a... Well, somebody a got arrested for making a joke about there wasn't a bomb in their bag. That's oh, a that terrible joke. X-ray. That happens a lot. Yeah. Is that but, right? Well, it's a temptation, isn't it? You're walking through security, you know why you're there, and uh, your, your brain jumps to that, oh, I'll make a little joke about not having guns. I haven't got any machine guns in there. Yeah. You know, we've had two years of, I'm afraid, what I would call a lot of it COVID theatre, perspex screens mm -hmm. and, you know... All, it's all, all up to Jerry. All, all, all paraphernalia to, to, to uh, keep us safe. Uh, when are the airlines going to give up this nonsense about fluids on the plane? But the fluids thing came about because there was a genuine attempt at a terrorist attack where someone had smuggled fluids on and... The explosive? He, explosive the fluids. The boot bomber. It, that's a different person. That's why we take our shoes off. Ah. So every time the terrorists come up with a new thing, we have to take off another thing. I hope uh, no one does a boxer shorts bombing. That'd be uh, the boxer short bombing is coming. Do you next. know what? I, I would take my chances at thirty-eight thousand feet, just so I can bring some water onto the plane and not pay fifty pounds for a bottle when I get on board. There must be technology they're developing to find a way to scan your liquids to know if it's an explosive liquid. Um, I would have thought, but but uh, it does. Why? Well, I, well, I suppose I'm just making clear that it does come from an actual authentic attempt mm. uh, at a terrorist Although attack. I've heard people say that, that that was a little bit overblown and it was a one-off. And if you think about the enormous cost just to the airlines the and the shops. absolute drag yeah. it is for everyone, you know, cost-benefit sure. analysis. I, well, we all do cost-benefit analysis. I mean, we were talking earlier about the speeding and the traffic. You know, mm. we all accept uh, that our speed limits, if we lowered them by 10 across the board, we would save thousands of lives a year. But we choose convenience over certain... Andrew, all I'm saying is I want to open that whiskey on the flight. <laughs> That's all it is. It's about the Jack Daniels. You can buy them. I've just got to stare at it. You can buy those little overpriced thimbles you can. On, the, on the plane. You get treated like a child. If you bring duty-free on, they take it away from you. They confiscate it. And they don't trust you revealing far too much with these <laughs> Let's move on before I get in trouble. Monday's Guardian and the pandemic hasn't just affected the nation's economy, education and health. It's now affecting our dreams. Mm. Like Freddy Krueger, Jonathan. <laughs> exactly like that. It's, uh, so dream enactment disorder rose up to fourfold during pandemic, the study finds. So this is a condition where you act out your dreams when you're asleep. Normally, your brain effectively paralyzes you during the night, so yes. you don't move, you don't uh, enact these things. But people who've had COVID are apparently much more likely to suffer from this. And this actually hits home because maybe two weeks ago, I was asleep in bed. I had a dream that my friend was really annoying me. He was dancing around like a leprechaun. I try and reach out, grab his legs, and I punch my girlfriend in the nose in my sleep. And her sleep, that's my story. Uh, yeah, and then I wake her up, I wake myself up, and I've literally just gone trying to catch my friend's foot in my dream. This this happened oh, to wow. me. I clonked her right in the face. Goodness me, I mean... sleep yeah. Well, I mean... Next time she won't disagree... No, 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 this is... <laughs> that's worse than genuinely. snoring. It is yeah. much worse than snoring. You I do that as well. But. I mean, I know someone, an old friend of mine, she, she attacked her partner with a pair of scissors in her sleep. That's too specific. Where do you get scissors from in your sleep? Well, they, they, they were on the bedside table. That's very convenient. Yeah. Oh, I see. So you think that was just an excuse. Well, it could have been. Yeah. But this does frighten me. I mean, this I hadn't heard of this dream enactment uh, syndrome. I mean, I've often been known to sleepwalk. I have this oh, thing wow. that happens to me quite a lot, particularly if I'm in a bed. I don't know. I often wake up on the other side of the room not knowing where I am, and it's very, very scary. Um, and I didn't, you know, and maybe it is connected to, I don't know, maybe, I haven't even thought of this. Well, but people say it could be related to the uh, extra stress that's come about in the pandemic. Um, some people say it's uh, to do, is it uh, with uh, Parkinson's? No, they yeah, say it can, it, can, it can say it can be a precursor yeah. to Parkinson's. Right, and right. I didn't realise 2.3% of adults over the age of 60 have this condition. 
So, I mean... Yeah. And, well, I feel, I feel like if you sleepwalk, that's even a kind of more extreme version but of I've it. But I've done it since I was a child. Since I was, when I was a small right. child, I used to do it every week, okay. apparently. So it's yeah. very common. Um, I don't know. Maybe I should get it checked out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jonathan, what I'm worried about is a bit spooky. Andrew could be asleep now. Wake up. It, I probably am, because I shouldn't work on the Sabbath. Yeah. So I, I shouldn't be here. So maybe I am right. asleep. You are a man of faith. Well, better asleep than not here at all. Let's move on to Monday's Telegraph. And there are rumblings at the Cannes Film Festival, Andrew. There are, because TikTok uh, are sponsoring certain elements of the Cannes Film Festival. And, of course, TikTok have a lot of money and they've been doing this. But there have been claims now that they've been trying to influence the competition's judges' decisions. And therefore, it's all kicked off. And uh, the, obviously, film purists are absolutely furious about even TikTok being involved. Because, I mean, TikTok, you know, if TikTok are involved in the Cannes Film Festival, what kind of films are going to get rewarded? 14-second mm. films where some <laughs> pink-haired loon screams about their pronouns. I mean, that's going to be the, what they're looking for. So I don't know what's going to happen here, um, but people are very, very angry. And, and particularly if it is true that TikTok were trying to influence the judges, that's wrong anyway, no matter who they are. Yes. And it doesn't matter what money you put into it. There has to be integrity in these things. Uh, and this is... But what really annoys me about this article, I have to say, it's The Telegraph. And they've said that the social media giant tried to meddle in the judging process. They've spelt it M-E-D-A-L. They've spelled it meddle. Now, I expect that from The Guardian, but not from The Telegraph. This is... No. The, I'm sorry, this is sloppy. Yeah, sack the sub. It's an interesting story. The concern with TikTok, of course, is as a social media giant, that it's got a great deal of influence. It's got and huge influence. it's Chinese-owned. The Chinese psyop. You heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> are either of you on TikTok? No, um, no. GB News are we, are we, is. We, yeah, GB News does well on it. Does it? very well on TikTok. Um, are we, as individuals, too old for it, do you think? I think I am. You, you're probably not. Um, I know some people are on it. It's, I'm trying to avoid it as long as I can, but I think I'm going to have to start putting some stand-up clips in there at some point. But, I mean, it's the most ephemeral form of video there is. It's just... A stupid clip, it goes away, no one ever watches it again. It's just, it, that shouldn't be associated with Cannes. That's kind of like Rustler's sponsoring MasterChef. It shouldn't be a thing. Okay. Not... <laughs> well, it used to be like Vine. This is sort of a new version I of Vine. I thought like Vine was pure, though. That was, because I did what? Vine back in the day. I've just bought shares in Vine. <laughs> <laughs> not still going. And MySpace. Never mind. Well, MySpace is having a second <laughs> wave, don't worry. Yeah. Well, there's always hope. Uh, Guardian now, and it looks like EastEnders are going to get some rather posh cast members, Jonathan. Yeah, so Charles and Camilla to guest star in EastEnders' Platinum Jubilee special. Uh, so the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall are going to appear as themselves in an episode of EastEnders to mark the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Lovely. Do people watch EastEnders? Is that a thing? Do... Well, I think it's about three or four million a night. So it's well, not... fair enough. It's, it's not the, the golden uh, those are TikTok era. Numbers, yeah. It used to be, you know, 10, 15 million back oh. in the day. Yeah. I think... East, uh, Coronation Street at, at its height was was being watched by 30 million people, which is remarkable. Still, three or four million is not too shabby. It's, it's, it's decent. Yeah. It's decent. Those yeah. are big numbers. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Is is this an attempt by Charles and Diana to sort of demonstrate a new approach to being a royal, a, a slightly more celebrity-based approach than the Queen? To be kind of... Um... Well, well, hasn't this happened historically? Have they not been? It has. Yeah, yeah I feel like it is has right? happened at different times. Well, Prince Charles was in Coronation Street in 2000. Uh, so so it's, it, there is precedent here. Okay. okay. And I don't think it is that they're going all Meghan and Harry. Mm -hmm. I, I don't see Camilla going down that 
route. No. Do you? I just don't think it would suit her. And uh, I quite like them when they're untouchable in sort of ivory towers. It makes them seem okay. That's what that's what I would do. I wouldn't mix with the hoi polloi if I exactly was exactly right. Yeah. I, that's why I think that rock stars should turn up to events in white Rolls Royces. Exactly. Just be very bling and don't even look at people. It's it's showbiz. Yeah. Exactly. Don't yeah. don't make eye contact. And, and you'll be like that in a couple of years. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Maybe I won't mean I don't make eye contact as it is. It's very hard for me. But yeah, it's. Uh, uh, do, you, do you think that Charles and Di Charles and Diana, there's a Freudian slip, Charles and Camilla, will Charles and Camilla, <laughs> will they be a successful brand, do you think? Because we talk a lot, don't we, about King Charles, what sort of sure. meddling king he'll be. But what about them as a couple, as a package? Do, are you buying that? I think they can pull it off. I mean, is public opinion... Do, do people like her now? I feel like people like her. But there mm. was some... I mean, I was quite young when I think they got together and I didn't really understand it because I was six and I, I still don't. But, yeah, I think I think they can win the hearts of of the nation. Yeah. yeah. I wonder, I, I'm trying to think, because we've had Brangelina, haven't we, and Benefer. <laughs> so is it uh, Chamilla? I think Chamilla would work. But I think in terms of branding, the best branding they could go for is to not have any branding and to go for sort of traditional, yeah. we're the king and queen. Right, this is what we are. Like it. Yeah. I think that's just a much stronger position to be in, and I know that Charles isn't. So stop trying to be like groovy and banging on about Definitely. mental health. They shouldn't get TikTok. They should just endless stay on. preaching about the planet and stuff like well, that. Well, unfortunately, that's what Charles does a lot, and Good I just think, I think they just need to step away from it. I do think Camilla's going to get a second chance. She was pretty much hated by a lot of people, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, she's she was the victim of that whole that whole affair thing as well. I, I, full disclosure, I admire and like Camilla because I mean it was a tough gig replacing yeah. Diana and under those circumstances maybe perceived as a bit of a home wrecker, the third person in this relationship as described by Diana in that panorama yes. interview. So she's she's arrived with a lot of baggage and I think that in public life she hasn't put a foot wrong. She's been no. very, very uh, dignified. She's kept her counsel. Uh, she's good humoured. She's a, a, an attractive and glamorous lady and she's done a lot of work for causes like Domestic violence. I mean, I, I think she's nailed it, to be honest, Camilla. Yeah. In I terms of auditioning for the role. I totally agree. And I think, you know, obviously everyone was, was very fond of Diana, but the comparison isn't really fair. And of course, Camilla was, uh, Camilla and Charles, I believe that, that relationship predated uh, yes. the marriage to Diana anyway. So, mm. you know, I think yeah. it's, it's. So you think you, your idea is they should go old school, really old school, austere mm. uh, monarchy. Oh, let them eat cake, full on. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, beheadings. Maybe beheadings yeah. could come back. I think so. Well, I mean, I can think of a few <laughs> people who might merit that treatment. So the second time someone said that to me today. Oh, fair enough. Could be a great item on the show, couldn't yeah. it? <laughs> we'll finish with uh, celebrity beheadings. Monday's <laughs> Times now, and food companies are resorting to drastic measures to alleviate the country's obesity crisis, Andrew. Yes, so uh, there has been the development of a chocolate bar with cheese and onion crisps inside the chocolate bar. This Yay. is being produced by Tato. Tato, to be fair, they invented cheese and onion crisps. Uh, this is the Irish crisp company. Did they really? They did indeed. Well, they were the first crisp company to put flavour and powder onto crisps. And the first flavour they did was cheese and onion. And now, of course, everyone... So Tato, very culturally significant uh, brand. Um, but they've now, as far as I'm concerned, they're dead to me because they've created this hybrid monster mm. of chocolate, uh, chocolate bar with cheese and onion crisps inside. I, I mean, there is a kind of fashion for this at the moment, these hybrid things, but I don't like any of them. I don't even like, like the chocolate with sea salt in. 
I think it's grim. And, and, and like pineapple on pizza, it doesn't work. And like they've quoted all these experts. There's a professor, Barry Smith. That doesn't sound like a real professor. <laughs> he says he's a taste researcher. You know, that's not a thing. He eats crisps, that's what he does. He's just yeah. some bloke who eats crisps. And he says, he <laughs> says it's genius. The human brain likes contrast in taste and texture. This has both. No, it's objectively disgusting. <laughs> yes, and also when we see odd flavours going into sweet items, you know, when a sort of snail-flavoured chocolate it's always at those expensive farmers markets, isn't it? And oh, it's posh people pretending to like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And showing how sort of sophisticated they are. I think we've got a picture of of the uh, crisps. There you go. Oh, it's the chocolate. It's Forgive the chocolate me. With the crisps. It is in it. Oh, I misunderstood. I thought it was chocolate flavored crisps. No, other well, way around. Even well, worse. One of the quotes from the guy, um, the expert, says, your tongue will be chasing down all those little bits of crunchy crisp alongside the smoothness of the chocolate across your tongue, which feels like you're being stroked. That guy needs a girlfriend. I think they're too right. <laughs> They've definitely jumped the shark on that one. It's left a bad taste in my mouth. Daily Star now and a classic British night out, Jonathan. <clears throat> Might be the most English headline I've ever read. Drunk bloke steals double-decker bus to drive home from pub and doesn't remember it. <laughs> what a guy. I mean... So a chap called Stephen McCartan broke into a bus station to drive home after a trip to the pub, but his journey proved very costly when he caused thousands of pounds worth of damage. He doesn't remember. He stole the... He, I think he broke into the bus to try and sleep, to try and get some rest, drove it home three miles to his house. First of all, three miles, he could have walked that in an hour. He'd have been fine. Instead, he stole a double-decker. I respect that. I like the chaos side of things. I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't tell people to do it, but I really... Do you respect what he's done there? It, it feels like an update to Bertie Wooster from the Jeeves and Wooster books, stealing a policeman's helmet. It takes it up a level. It really Double-decker bus. Uh, uh, lots of people lose their cars when they go out drinking because they're responsible, which means they drive to the pub or they drive back to the park near the pub and they decide, actually, I'm going to get stuck in. Right, I'm so. going to fill my boots. Mm -hmm. I'll come back to the car tomorrow. And they wake up the next day, haven't got a clue where it is. Yeah, the police often have to help people find their cars. Yeah. I mean, what I don't understand about this story is how did he do it? How did did he hotwire the bus? So he, he's an ex-soldier. I don't know if he had some kind of skills. How do you? How does one? How do you start a bus? How do you steal a bus? Friend, how do you yeah. do this? You know, uh, he claims he can't remember. Were the keys it, in the ignition? Like, were sure. the keys in the ignition? Well, if that's the case, it's the bus company's the is, fault. Can yeah. I just ask you? I mean, if the passengers were happy and got <laughs> home safely, yeah. What's the problem? <laughs> Maybe all the bus drivers are drunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 the, the biggest crime, of course, well, well, stealing the bus, but also drunk driving, I suppose. That's, that's very bad. So it's, it's a yeah. double whammy, isn't it? But he, got, he got off lightly, though. Uh, he had to pay a £250 fine and he, um, he's been spared from prison. I, I've, I've not done anything too silly when drunk, but I did... I used to work on a breakfast radio show and there was an outrageous tradition of having drinks after the show, but as it's breakfast radio, you know, you're in the pub by... Well, 10 a.m. Yes. There was one particular pub in central London that opened early. We would have breakfast and a couple of beers. Mm. And I staggered into a record shop mid-afternoon <laughs> and I bought the complete works of Elton John, which, much to my shock when I looked at the bill, it's, I think, at least 30 albums. But at least that's Ooh. a sensible purchase. Well, I know, except that not some of that, the late 80s. No? wasn't great. Goodbye, Yellow Brick so Road. Hilariously, I went back the next day with a few of the, you know, less loved. Uh, kept Goodbye, Olympic Road, Tumbleweed Connection, but uh, brought back leather jackets. And uh, the woman at the till said, I thought you'd be back. <laughs> and did they let you take some of them back? Yeah, they were very they nice were about, it, about it. She okay. looked at me like a sort of disapproving mother. Just thinking, yeah, I understand. I knew you'd be back. But you can't just I... use being drunk for every excuse, every mistake you make. Not you know, really. I, I, I'm sorry I was drunk, so can I return this? 
Yeah, no, so it's not going to work, is very, it? Very, very naughty of me. I apologise to that record shop. We've probably gone out of business now. Thank God for streaming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Time, once again, and dogs... The Times, I should say, the Times newspaper, and it's uh, a dog attack. Uh, dog attacks on the rise, Andrew. Well, you know, this is interesting because there have been studies that have suggested that um, there have been an increase in dog attacks over the last two decades, and so they're trying to ask why why this has happened. Apparently, they've been steadily rising, um, and the, resu the, the results of this particular study have suggested that it debunks the idea that it is poorly trained dogs mm. or that it's aggressive breeds. It's the way that we interact with our dogs. And the key thing here is we're forgetting that they're dogs. So we pick them up and hug them. To a dog, that's actually quite threatening. Mm. We think the dog loves it, but the dog doesn't like it. The dogs like being stroked and, and fussed, but they don't like being picked up and grabbed and hugged. And, they, and, um, sometimes, and also, you should never leave a dog with a child because because, you know, they are dogs and every dog is potentially unpredictable and you just have to... But not, they are wild animals at heart. They are... But, but I should also say that, you know, they're so rare. Dog attacks are still very, very rare and dogs are beautiful, lovely creatures and let's not, let's not get overly fearful here. Well, I will say my friend, again, about two weeks ago, did get attacked by a Labrador in the park in Crouch End. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. He'd been to Dunn's Baker's, shout out to Dunn's, and he basically had a big pastry and a sandwich. We walk into the woods, this Labrador comes out of nowhere, runs, charges him, headbutts him oh, in the, dear. can I say penis? And then basically eats all his food, it's the whole just thing. just did a very middle-class attack. Uh, gentlemen, let me thank you. Two comedians that don't fight, only with their <laughs> humour. Andrew Doyle and uh, my very, very good friend, Jonathan Cogan. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.